I'm recording. Say incriminating things. <laughs> uh, incriminating things. Matt Draper is Daredevil. Just so you know. <laughs> That's gonna be the cold open of the episode. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> Leave it. All right. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective. I'm your host Dallas Taylor. And I'm Alexis. And for today's episode, we are going to be going over and discussing 52, the DC no. Comics event with, drumroll please, grrr, Doug Smith from the YouTube channel for Every Kind of Geek. Hi, everybody. All right. Um, we're going to let him introduce himself in a second. But before we get into all that, we've got shameless plugs to go in right here at the beginning before my audio inevitably cuts out and I have to re-edit it on Thursday mornings. <laughs> But before we track right there, um, everybody make sure to follow us on our socials so you can get updates on videos, just whatever we decide to post. Over on Twitter, we are at CMX Collective, and our Instagram is the Comics Collective. Also, right off the top, we would love it if you all would rate and review us on whatever platform you are listening to us right now. So please go ahead and do that. We love to hear from you guys. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. That's like my favorite part of every episode is reading all of your guys' questions. Me too. So, you guys think of such good stuff because like I, that is my weakness is thinking of questions to ask Dallas. So give so. me questions to ask Dallas. <laughs> so keep writing those in. Um, but with all of that, Doug, do you want to introduce yourself to the people? Yeah, hi everybody. So, uh, like Dallas said up at the top, uh, my name's Doug. I run the channel for Every Kind of Geek, where I just sort of make um, fun little video essays every month about uh, about my favorite comics and uh, just about stuff that I think people should uh, know more about. And uh, my my latest project, which we're talking about now, is on Fifty Two, which is uh, maybe one of my favorite stories not just about like the justice league or a specific character but about the dc universe as a whole i um i, I sort of i sorry no i was gonna say i super feel that like this was so revitalizing as a dc fan so i'm sorry i interrupted you though what were you gonna say oh, no it's all good i was just gonna say um i kind of I, I feel like we all came into this at the right time because uh, I mean, if you've been watching the like the comic scene, if you've been catching up on all the news, DC's kind of been in a, a bit of a tailspin creatively and just as a company, I think. Like they they went through a couple of different uh, massive changes in terms of leadership. And of course, because everything's kind of risky now, they've been pivoting towards more and more Batman. <laughs> and it's gotten to the point where it's it feels like it's literally just Batman and the rest of the universe has kind of been forgotten about. So, uh, I think, yeah, just I don't in know. These, yeah. I don't know if you heard this, but we're actually in talks to buy DC comics from Warner brothers. So Ooh. yeah, the comics collective is going to buy them and we are going to milk the bat cash cow. Like nobody's <laughs> business. all your favorite characters will be in a DC round Robin and I will approve 42 Batman books. So, yeah, get that with what dough. money? <laughs> My pockets are empty, so that's all Dallas. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> all right, back, back to you, Doug. 
this is just we're just gonna keep interrupting the smart things that you have to say <laughs> with just pointless banter. Oh, I mean that's that's pretty much uh, all I have to say about it. I think Fifty Two is an amazing book. It's, I mean, it's it's definitely a callback to like the heyday of DC when it wasn't just like a single character or a single voice. It was actually written by uh, four different people and you know staffed by a lot more people. And uh, it's, I mean, anytime just going back to that, I'm blown away by how much work and how much collaboration went into this single story. It's just, it's, it's so dense and there's like, just, there's so many layers to it. And I, I always come away uh, learning something different and appreciating something new, you know? Yeah. It's crazy how seamless the voice is between all of the different creatives, you know, whether that's the writer's room or even the artists that they had to slot in. There's definitely, you can tell when a different artist comes on, but it's a pretty unified vision the whole way through, which is insane. And we'll get more into the weekly schedule of it all later, but this book is a, is a feat of comics that I don't think anything else has really touched, to be honest. Like, I've read a few other weekly books, and I don't think any of them have been as impactful as 52 was for me. Or hefty. Or hefty, she says. <laughs> hefty. Yeah, right. it's it's a tome of a book. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is. All right, Alexis, elaborate on that. How did you feel about <laughs> this book? Did the, I... length, did the length kill it for you, or did you still enjoy oh, it? See, I will say... I feel like the content within definitely saved it. Otherwise, I would have definitely jumped off a cliff or faked my own death <laughs> because I was like, oh, of course I'll be able to read 52 issues. That's no big deal. And like my idiot brain was like, ah, oh, 52 pages. How wonderful. That'll be easy. No, wrong. <laughs> 52 In... mini books inside of two big books. So. Yeah, yeah, it was something. Even I like... I, I usually keep a pretty good clip reading these things. And behind the curtain here, I had to message Doug last week and be like, oh, man, I'm not done. I'm not <laughs> done. I overestimated myself. And <laughs> it was crazy. I can't even imagine you being so seeped in it all month for your upcoming Oh, video. yeah. I was going to say, I feel like we're all on the same wavelength because, like, I, I did a read-through uh, before I even decided to like sit down and edit and then I thought oh yeah this is great uh, it's it's a breeze and it's just one run and then I like I put all of the scans into my editing software and then I saw all the folders and I went oh oh that's <laughs> that's a lot bigger than I thought it was gonna be <laughs> yeah like and I'm not a stranger to a long run of things I mean I am the king of making Alexis read an abhorrent amount of Spider-Man, Spider-Man. but like <laughs> Spider-Man <laughs> 52 goes for a while. (laughs) But, like, the quality is so high, I don't feel like it's a chore. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's it's got a lot of spinning plates, but I I think they keep everything very, very balanced. It does. And it's a dense book, too. Every page has something going on. Every issue has multiple storylines. It's not like these 52 issues are a Tom King Batman 52 issues where... Mm -hmm. That's actually 1,800 words total for the entire (laughs) run. And 900 of them are bat and 900 of them are cat. But that's shade we don't really have to. So (laughs) I just want to. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just Pride and Prejudice, with, but with Batman. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. It felt so liberating to drop Batcat after like issue three. Yeah. I well, was, that's I... that's another win about this book because it doesn't have Batman or Catwoman in it. It doesn't. I yeah, I kind of want to talk about that. Um, our first question is: Fifty Two is a book that stars the B team. Who are the breakout characters for you from Fifty Two? Because like for anyone that doesn't know, Fifty Two does not star any of the Trinity or any of the JLA really. Like all of your your A list DC characters are off the board, and I thought that was so fun and so liberating. So I want to hear like what you guys thought about the cast of characters. I thought that was really fun. I thought it was definitely an interesting perspective that I've never gotten before, especially because I'm so new to the to the DC universe. And of course, everyone is so familiar with the classic Justice League, like Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman. Everybody knows them. There's stories for days about them. But I thought it was really fun to actually get an inside look to everybody else that's always just kind of there in the background. And we get to see them develop in their own individual way and like their own struggles of things, which I found really interesting. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This this was actually my first introduction to like the larger DC universe, too. I think I I started reading this around... I think when I was in college and I, I was like, I was getting really into kind of like hunting for, for stories. And, um, I found all of the single issues for this in, in a local comic shop somewhere. And I guess this, this was right around the time, uh, if there are any animated fans out there, I was watching justice league unlimited. So it, I mean, it was, it was a real, yeah. Absolutely. It was it was a fascinating companion piece because like I I saw all of these characters for the first time in the cartoon. Like I saw Booster Gold there for the first time and then I immediately got to follow this up in that story and see them taken in all sorts of like new interesting directions. Um so if I I don't know, if I had to pick any breakout characters. I mean, I like all of the cast, honestly. But uh, two of the standouts for me would be Booster Gold, definitely, and Mm -hmm. uh, The Question. I loved Vic Sage since I first saw that weird little Fox Mulder man on on Justice League. And, like, to actually get a deeper insight into, you know, his personality, his philosophy, and – his impact on other people was really fascinating. Yeah. It made me want to go back and read some of the, like the Charlton comics stuff with all mm-hmm. of that from Ditko. Uh, Vic Sage very much my, my personal King Steve Ditko's like favorite child, but that's, that's super fun. I think for me, the breakout was definitely black Adam. Like I've always had a fondness for the Captain Marvel family and sort of like a passing awareness of them. Like when they pop up, it makes me happy. I think they're great. But to see Black Adam take a center stage, I mean, anyone unfortunate enough to follow me on Twitter saw all week long, all I did was talk about Black Adam. Yeah. (laughs) 
Like every, I feel like everything he did in this book was cool. Every single page he was on, I was like, damn, that's pretty cool. That's pretty My, cool what you're doing right spooky. there. Yeah, he is. A little spooky. I, I do like <laughs> the fact that he sort of like stepped up and filled the role uh, Captain Marvel, or I guess he's known as Shazam now, uh, couldn't. Because I think like, so I, more context going into 52 is the premise of this is like everything's different. All of these characters have just a, a new chapter in their lives. And part of that for Captain Marvel was Billy, I guess, became like the wizard Shazam. So the first time you see him, like Black Adam is actually the more kind of like put together rational person. And Billy is just sitting there like mumbling to himself because he's he's hearing and uh, yeah, it it was really fascinating to to kind of see this villain uh, for the first time, but he's he's actually much more heroic. Uh, I thought it was it was a really cool jumping point for me because I had never read any of the the Shazam stuff before. Yeah, like I said, I only had a passing familiarity, so it was really fun for me. See, like the Black Marvel family being created. I'm a sucker for found family, right? Yeah. So, and then there's, we'll give some lead time on any spoilers, but like some of the reveals <laughs> with the Black Marvel family at the end oh, melted yeah. my brain. I was like, I knew there was something going on, and it wasn't that. Like, that <laughs> surprised me so much. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty smart. I bet I know what's going on. Absolutely, I did not. <laughs> and I feel like that book, this book did that to me so many times when I was like, I know what's going on. And then the book was like, you absolutely don't know what's going on. Our sweet I know child. it's, it's like they had quarterly rug pulls, like every milestone of the story. <laughs> they're like, oh yeah. And by the way, everything's different now. <laughs> but it, it never felt like it was out of left field. You yeah. know, like I loved at the very end of the story when they're shooting back through the 52 weeks, right? It goes back to day one and it shows you like, oh, we buried the lead. I, cause yeah. I remember seeing that in a panel and being like, oh, interesting. I'm never going to think about that again, you know? And then it became like the crux of one of the storylines. So I, yeah, very, very well-crafted book. And you can sort of see the, the creatives are working at their highest level. All together. It's every, really every time I think about all the different storylines and like all the different weeks, I feel like I'm one of those people that has like the pin board with all the red string, like trying to connect <laughs> everything because I don't really know what's going on most of the time. And so I'm just like over here trying to connect who goes to what and where and when just know, all the I time like, because everything's connected. I feel like I need a Jonathan Hickman info chart to just explain all of 52. <laughs> Oh, can you imagine if Jonathan Hickman did 52? Oh, that would have blown my mind, honestly. It would have, but, like, it would have been such a different animal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I had to, like, I had a lull there in the middle of the X-Books where I stopped reading the data pages. Because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. And then I realized, like, oh, I'm missing, like, some, some pretty serious character beats. So <laughs> I, I better go back and do that again. So you can, everyone can take away my nerd card. There was, like, two months there during the dawn of x where i just <laughs> didn't read an info page again <laughs> it's just so much text it is it gets to it and like i i'm such a dork like i love prose novels right but like yeah. 
in a comic, when I get to a page that's just all text, I'm like, I this is not what I signed up for. Absolutely not. I know. I'm I'm all <laughs> visual storytelling. Pictures? Yeah, just give me the pretty pictures. <laughs> when I get to like a silent page, an angel grows its wings. <laughs> We should just read a whole silent book at this point. Just make Mm. my day. (laughs) They exist, and they're usually pretty good. Children's books. Like, yeah, this just becomes a children's (laughs) book podcast. (laughs) Today we'll be reading. Are you? Are you my mother? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alexis, do you want to ask the next question? Sure. Let me pull it up real fast because my phone is going to die. Okay, it's right here. Um. All right. What did you think of Booster Gold's arc across the story? I really want to know what you guys have to think about this. Yeah. I think it's crazy. It's it's really funny because, like, I mean, I, I feel like every character is central to the plot in this. It's just so incredibly, like, well-woven together. But Booster is is one of, like, the the core tenets here. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting because, like, I mean, if if you kind of just like come in from like a from a casual reader's perspective, like, oh, yeah, Booster is just this guy who flies in covered in like sponsor stickers and he seems like an obnoxious jerk. And it's really funny because I, I read Infinite Crisis to prepare for the edit for this. And I found out right before I sat down, oh, yeah, Ted Core died last time. And like this, this whole kind of arc that he has is him sort of spiraling because of it. He, he like retreats into who he was and, or at least who he thinks he was. And that's this kind of cynical, I mean, basically a con man dressed as a superhero. Mm -hmm. And uh, you really get to see the, the depths of that over the course of the series. And without, going into to too many spoilers yet i i absolutely love where they take it and it's it hits on like kind of both poles of what i really like because it's on the one hand very inspirational but on the other hand like darkly funny yeah and it's yeah it's just really cool to see the progression of that well, he has such a satisfying end. I mean, I wrote this question into the outline when I still had 10 issues to go or so. Mm. And even then I was like, oh, this has a pretty satisfying end. And then like the last three issues were such home run hit, gut punch. Yeah. Booster Gold issues. And I mean, I love Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. I've got them on my laptop right here. They're my favorite boyfriends <laughs> in DC Comics. And I... I love Booster Gold more now because of this book. You know, I feel like he... Because a lot of time he does get to be a bit of a jokey character. He gets to be lighthearted. He's the guy that stole... He's the antagonist of Back to the Future number two, but a superhero, (laughs) you know? And that's just a funny concept. But this book brought a bunch of emotional weight, like you said. And it... It made me feel things at the end. Like, I felt a swelling in my chest. I felt like a tear in my eye, you know, for Booster Gold. And I was like, wow, this is this is really talented writing to make me feel this way mm-hmm. about this character that ostensibly has been a joke for me. <laughs> what a strange know? turn of events. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, Lex, what did you think of Booster Gold throughout? Well, I mean, I feel like my original like grasp of him, I feel like he was kind of set up to be the butt of the joke at the beginning. Like, he definitely was set so high up so that he could just be pushed so far down just being like he just had this huge fall from grace and I feel like it was really impactful and I could kind of sense where it was going and I really liked the way that it was written and I really felt for him and I thought it was a really fun I mean I just I thought it was interesting to even just have the thought of oh he's from the future he's a time traveler I just thought his whole idea of his character was really cool and it was really a fun different look into the traditional hero where he's a little sleazy he has his his own image in his mind and you know he's like not necessarily selfless like we see with so many of these characters and I really liked how it kind of set up the look for everybody else as well I thought it was really fun I also like I love that this book let him have lows I feel yeah and you really saw them too like for sure and they weren't scared of those lows either one of my yeah. favorite moments of this actually is I think he's he's arguing with fire or something. And, you know, like the the whole setup to this is basically like a whole lot of the Justice League have either disappeared or full on died. So she's kind of lecturing him like you're you're doing that. You're just getting sponsors when there are like people, you know, busting themselves out there to like keep everything together. This isn't about you. And then he like just loses it. And he goes, yeah, but my friend did that, and look where he is now. So you know what? Yeah, this is about me. And they just linger on that. She leaves the apartment, and it's just this, like, cramped little shot of him in the doorway. (laughs) And his little robot buddy Skeets flies and then goes, okay, but we have that sponsor appointment. Mm -hmm. I loved that part. It's like, okay, wait. (laughs) What a a gut punch. It's also so clever to make him the hero for Metropolis. Yeah. Because you inevitably compare him against Superman the whole time, right? Oh, of course. If, if Superman is the perfect superhero, Booster Gold's shortcomings only become more apparent because of the comparison. Oh, like man. If, if he was in literally any other city in the DC universe, <laughs> I don't think it would have carried the same punch that he was letting Metropolis down. I, I didn't even pick up on that either. It's, I mean, it's hilarious. And I feel like we get closer and closer to like kind of teetering on spoilers. But I, I love the fact that you brought that up just because like the, the whole theme of, of Booster's arc is like how he measures up to the other heroes. And I, yeah, I, I just really love that idea that even though Superman isn't there, Booster is kind of like living in his shadow and trying to emulate him, even though he's very clearly not him. Yeah. So do we want to mark right here for anybody? Because I kind of want to talk <laughs> some spoilers. Oh, I do so, too. Like, Spoil it that, all. Bring it on. <laughs> anybody that hasn't finished 52, I miraculously had no spoilers for this book. This <laughs> book is like 15 years old, and every single reveal was a surprise for me. And I think that was half of the fun of the read. 
So you're not going to hurt my feelings if you leave the podcast and come back to it later after you've read the book in <laughs> six months. In six six to nine months. months. Yeah, sixty-nine months. Um, <laughs> but I I want to talk some spoilers because I think we can explore this Superman Booster Gold thing a little bit more. Yeah, Sounds go for too. it. Lay it all, all out. Right. Spoiler talk. All right, so the Supernova reveal was mm-hmm. so good, and within that context of everyone feeling like it was Superman the whole time. Everybody thinking, oh, the super supernova is definitely Superman. You know, how easy. What a great thing. Lex Luthor points it out to you, and you're like, Lex, I think you're onto something. Yeah. And then to have it revealed, like, no, that's Booster being the hero you know he can be with the anonymity that goes against all the negative things he's been doing, you yeah. know? It's it's a total flip flop of who he is at the start, which I I love, and I mean, kind of bringing Skeets back into this, that in itself is a really cool reveal too, right? Because all of this is kicked off with the fact that you realize Skeets is the super villain of this story, or at least one of them. He yeah. like there's there's this great moment where, um. I guess they're they're trying to find Rip Hunter or something, and uh, Booster like walks into one of his his little lairs and he sees this poster that's basically him and Skeets and there are all these arrows pointing at them and it says it's his fault time is broken and we don't find that out until later until they come back with uh, somebody else and Skeets ends up locking this replacement in the vault and then just going, he knows, and then zooming off. Easily one of the coolest, uh, one of the coolest hooks I've ever read. Well, it gave me chills when I read yeah. it. I was like, oh, no, the little <laughs> robot, no. I honestly, like, my stupid brain was like, oh, it's Booster Gold's fault? <laughs> like yeah. Skeets was yeah. so removed from being the antagonist in my brain, I was like, "Oh, they're using Skeets as a symbol for Booster. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, I'm too stupid for comic books sometimes. If I'm being real, head empty. I feel like no that's thoughts. The point. <laughs> I feel like that's what they target people. Honestly, <laughs> Dallas, the only difference between you and me is that I put music underneath my stuff so I sound smarter. <laughs> See, if we just I can't was... figure out our audio. <laughs> if I was a less lazy editor, I would put some music under this part just as a joke. <laughs> so, dear listener, put your favorite song behind this so that I sound smart. Put a headphone in. Yeah, put a... <laughs> How are they going to sync up two different headphones? Whatever, whatever. Um... Get, get that iPod shuffle out. We all know you have it. Y'all are old. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So, Booster Gold, Supernova. Are there any other Booster Gold spoiler things we want to talk about before we move on? Uh, the only other thing that I want to get into is, um, I guess, to test the waters, like the the submarine scene. Oh, okay. I was going to say, can we talk about that? But I don't know yeah. how I should introduce it. <laughs> so, man, talking about Darkly Funny from before... Uh, th- it's it's really great because they set this up during the kind of first act when you see how far everybody's fallen. And 
when supernova is introduced at first we don't know it's booster so you have like this kind of really arrogant booster gold fighting this you know totally altruistic guy who seemingly just like hates him they they have this little interaction towards the end where he's like uh oh no no don't get up i've got this covered it's not like you'd have made a difference anyway and then booster freaks out and attacks him and that leads to this sort of great confrontation where just a nuclear submarine pops like it it just materializes in metropolis somehow because you know that happens in comics that and, you know grant morrison wrote that part oh absolutely like, you know in your mind you're like grant grant brought that in uh, but yeah, it, it leads to this great moment where, um, not out of selflessness, but out of like a need to prove that he's still got it. Booster picks up the sub, flies it, uh, up into the sky and then goes like, this is just to show you guys I'm back. And then it explodes. <laughs> and <laughs> like, you think for a moment, oh, this is the moment where he, he kind of comes back as a hero. Like this is his, you know, uh, his epiphany and you see him kind of fall down supernova catches him and, <laughs> and there's this great reveal where it's a cartoon skeleton in booster's costume he pulled a metro man from Megamind. yeah i like <laughs> i had this the first time i read this it was so great i laughed because of what i'd seen and then i immediately went oh oh god <laughs> yeah i yeah yeah, I bought it as well. Again, too stupid I for comic really books. I really thought he was. I really did. I thought he was dead. They had a funeral. Same here. Why would he not? Why would they have a funeral if he's not dead? I was, got me. Oh, the funeral was so sad. <laughs> the stickers <laughs> on his coffin. No. Stickers <laughs> on his coffin. No. That's how I'm gonna be going out of this life with a sponsorship <laughs> deal on my coffin <laughs> to pay for things. Or the hired friends. That's the kind of corporate sellout I want to be. I want to be... If this podcast could be as sold out as Booster Gold, I would go for it, honestly. Well, put yeah, some... maybe, uh, maybe I'll read a big comic book if we're getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> put put some soulless sponsorship on this. This Let me talk about has been me brought to you by Skillshare. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I'll do, I'll do oh, no. <laughs> Oh, gross. Um, Alexis, do you want to want to ask us the next question? <laughs> yeah, I will get this. I'll get this boat going. Okay, next question. What do you think of the inside look into our most beloved heroes' normal lives? For example, Superman simply living as Clark Kent for the time being. We see him. He's there. What do you think about it? Wait, so Doug, can you give some background for me on this? Why why is Superman not in action right now? Oh, I wasn't yeah. familiar with what's going on. It's all sort of nebulous because uh, like 52 is kind of its own standalone thing. But I guess for anyone not in the know, uh, this was bookended immediately by two big crisis events. And I used air quotes there because like a crisis in DC terms is sort of like uh, an Avengers movie. It's this big uh, status quo changing event where basically a bunch of important stuff happens, usually having to do with the multiverse. And um, in uh, Infinite Crisis, which preceded this one, 
basically uh, Superman went all out to save the multiverse against some evil doppelganger of his. Uh, I think he flew through a bunch of kryptonite and ended up losing his powers temporarily anyway. So Mm. uh, it's really cool because even though he's not the focus, we get to pick up where that left off. And unfortunately, uh, we kind of see how much Clark Kent relied on powers to kind of just get through the day. Um, we almost with Perry White saying, "Look, you're you're not what you used to be. I'm gonna have to fire you." Which I know that was like that ripped my heart out. It's yeah, maybe the biggest oof I've seen. Dramatic reaction. I mean, it's it's immediately preceded by this amazing moment where he's kind of lecturing him, going like, I mean, when you came to us before, you had this drive. You know, you could just find the story. And the the whole time Perry is kind of monologuing, Clark is looking out the window, and he sees Supernova. And (laughs) there's, there's this great wordless moment where kind of like without reacting or doing anything, Clark opens the window and then immediately... And Perry freaks out seeing this. And uh, immediately after, we see that Clark is saved by Supernova. And it's kind of like this great... um, It's followed up by this great moment between him and Lois where she asks, like, "What? you know, you didn't have any powers. What were you thinking? And then he goes, well, I mean, it's what you did. And (laughs) uh, (laughs) He's like, you're preaching to the choir. Yeah. It's, It's this great moment where we see that you know, Clark still has a lot of growth over the years and Lois and his relationship with her has kind of given him perspective. So like he's, he's definitely not Superman, but he's still got all the stuff that we know and love about him. And it's just cool to see him kind of puttering around in the background because of that. Or yeah. like how he goes to Booster's funeral. Yeah. That's so sad. <laughs> he's like, who are all these People and they're like, I don't know, <laughs> don't really know if these are any of his friends. He's like, this is depressing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for real. Um, I really liked seeing in the latter half of the book a lot of what would become pertinent in Grant Morrison's Batman run, mm, with yeah. Bruce going into the cave to meditate, deciding not to be Batman. When I was reading those things, I was like, oh, this is all familiar. I remember this stuff happening. So that was fun for me to see that sort of journey for Bruce and the seeds laid for what at any given day is in in and around my top three Batman runs of all time. That might be a controversial take with people, but I love Morrison's Batman. Oh, I, I agree, too. I mean, I... It's so funny because the Trinity aren't the focus on this, but they all have really interesting journeys kind of going on uh, underneath all of this. Like, uh, I think we see Wonder Woman go to Nanda Parbat, and she talks with uh, Ramakushna, who's this, like, spiritual figure. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, I mean, it's just really cool, especially after kind of all the gloom and doom we see in Infinite Crisis. It's kind of like these heroes coming back from uh from their dark night of the soul yeah infinite crisis is when the thing with wonder woman maxwell lord happens right yeah yeah Yeah. because that's right after i think max kills uh blue beetle 
Yeah. Man, yeah, I need to read. I am aware of Infinite Crisis, and I have the trade. I just still need to read it. I like. I have to like build myself up to read crisis events, sort of. I know they're just they're so massive and they're so dense, you know. <laughs> and they're such a crapshoot with whether or not they're going to be good. Like I've heard Infinite is pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. I really like Crisis on Infinite Earths. That was one of the first things I read as a comic fan, which I don't recommend to anybody. Don't start with Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's too much for your <laughs> for your comic book brain, but. It's pretty and it's really well done, but like, especially recently with all the death, death metal stuff that was yeah. not that was not for Dallas. Not the best. I like Scott Snyder, but eh. <laughs> I feel like Scott Snyder is really great when Scott when he's doing Scott Snyder, but when he's oh, trying yeah. to do Grant Morrison, he is significantly less good. Does that make yeah, sense? That's, yeah, that's a very good, very good synopsis for that i think the more cosmic he gets like the the more muddled it becomes which is a shame because he's fantastic with like human stories and horror stories uh yeah just just let grant do their thing and you can do your thing you know yeah exactly there is enough room for both and honestly batman black mirror and the batman run proper even batman last night on earth we're Mm -hmm. all very 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 good and then the second that spiky eyed batman showed up (laughs) it was all downhill for me (laughs) um all right my next question is who do we feel like changed the most over the course of the story so we've talked a little bit about booster's arc and maybe while you guys think i want to point out that black adam has almost the mirror of booster gold where they both start out pretty bad, and then Booster gets really bad, and then ends really good, where Mm -hmm. Black Adam starts, like, sort of medium, gets way better, and then ends way worse. (laughs) (laughs) So, like... Has to be expected. You know, just, like, mess around and commit a genocide, Black Adam. Oopsie. I definitely was, like... I was, like... After weeks of me being like, Black Adam is everything. I love this book so much. And then I got real quiet Fan right after he, after he genocided a country. Deactivates his Twitter. Yeah. I've got a real great feeling about this Black Adam guy. Like, it's, well, only right. up, it's only up for here, man. From here. <laughs> you're just watching that and you're like, tweets that preceded tragedies. I know. I had to like, I had to stop myself from going, Dallas, I, I just want to warn you. <laughs> Stop tweeting what you're tweeting. My sweet summer child. Just a couple months ago, you were talking about how much you like Wally West. And now, like, I've got the worst luck with DC Comics. I, like, fall in love with something just to be like, eh, that's not going on anymore. Okay. Can't have that opinion. But the best part about that is you can kind of pretend events like that don't happen. Heroes in Crisis didn't happen. Yeah. That is my number one rule with comic books is that nothing makes sense and nothing really matters. (laughs) And so if I don't like something, it just didn't happen. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. Who there's not a police for the DC continuity. Like Mm. no one's going to knock on my door. Like before it gets bad, I'm going (laughs) to knock on my door and be like, Wally West hasn't had anything significant to do for 20 years, for 10 years. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll be like, mm, not my brain. Sorry. So long. He's like, mm, this is the first time Superman's been good in quite a while. I'm like, eh, no, sorry. <laughs> no can do. Not in Dallas land. <laughs> um, who do you guys feel like changed the most over the course of the story? So I feel a bit personally biased on this because, uh, I mean, I, I do agree. I think Black Adam had the most amount of just kind of mileage on his arc. He goes through so much, you know, and he has two completely like fundamental changes, uh, you know, for his character. But for me, uh, the character or characters who changed the most, I would argue are the questions that being Renee Montoya and Vic Sage. Renee, I, yeah. Talk about Renee Montoya. I'm disappointed she hasn't come up yet. Yeah, uh, Renee Montoya has become one of my favorite characters over the years. Uh, she started life in Batman the Animated Series, and then after um, kind of a big deal guy, Greg Rucka, brought her into uh, a series called Gotham Central. And since that ended, she's kind of been on a journey of self-discovery. She was... Um, I think she was outed as a lesbian by Two-Face and that led to her, you know, quitting the police, kind of like distancing herself from her family and then um, kind of just wallowing for a while because um, I think her her longtime partner and friend, uh, Crispus Allen, got murdered and she had like a, a bit of a Batman moment where she confronted the killer, but just couldn't find it in herself to to get revenge on that. And uh, since then, she's kind of been looking for purpose. And that's where uh, our boy Vic Sage shows up. He's kind of like this uh, wizened urban shaman type who, like, you know, kind of just comes in all mysterious, spouts a bunch of philosophy. I love the fact that he comes in and for, like, the first few issues kind of just walks around poking Renee going, Hey, pay attention to me. I've got, I've got a whole thing for you to do. And, um, from there they both go on a kind of, uh, spiritual journey where he trained her up to be his protege. And, uh, you know, they, they learn a lot. They grow, they grow a lot closer and uh, again, don't want to spoil anything, but it leads to some very interesting places. I also feel like it was paced so perfectly with oh, yeah. like, everything you need to know about that relationship is right there in the beginning, right? You, they definitely have like enemies to best friends arc, which <laughs> yeah. is really fun. But even like little things like him poking at her for cigarettes, like becomes significant and important as the story goes on, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it just it shows a lot of care for those characters in particular and i'm a i'm a sucker for a tight script you know i love when things come back and matter and so i was yeah. always a huge fan of the vic and renee bits of the story and honestly like renee has a really really fascinating arc throughout it all this book really 
I mean, I don't know that it's pitched this way, or maybe it is, and I'm just thinking about it now. But it it just shows how people deal with grief. Like every major story has like a major loss, and then how that person deals with it and works through it. Oh yeah, can. it's. Right? I mean, even even from a big picture, they're all kind of dealing with the aftershocks of uh, all all of the crazy stuff that happened in Infinite Crisis. It's very. If I had to like boil it down to a sentence i'd say it's very much about a universe that's grieving and everybody kind of processes that in their own way and i think that the writer's room remembers that as they go along right i definitely think you're right that that's the controlling idea of the whole series is it's a universe that's grieving and these individuals will give you a personal taste on what that grief looks like Mm -hmm. and i love that nobody feels like a trope nobody feels like like i have been rereading a little bit of invincible just because i got bit by the bug right with yeah. the show coming out and i found myself a little disappointed this time through with like debbie grayson's alcoholism in the comic book mm-hmm. i feel like while that's definitely a character beat that can be hit correctly i was disappointed that i felt like robert kirkman did not hit it correctly in invincible and i hope that he hits it better in the show but, like, nobody in this, like, Renee Montoya is spiraling at the beginning of this, right? She's not doing well, but it feels like a human being that's not doing well and not just a character or not just a caricature of grief and depression. And I thought that was really, really fun and powerful to read all these different characters that dealt with grief in a different way. And you could sort of imprint on them at different points. Oh, especially given her her late developments um if we're okay talking spoilers here i'd love to get into that too yeah so yeah again this this really hurt because i read this for the first time just as i was getting into question as a character and you find out uh i think maybe about halfway through the story that vic sage is dying of cancer so a big part of why he's Uh, you know, taking such an interest in Renee is he wants to, I mean, one, finish all the work that he has, but he also wants her to kind of carry on in what he's doing. And it, it touches in that element of grief for her because, I mean, this is the second time she's about to lose uh, a best friend. But why, uh, whereas Crispus Allen died fairly quickly, Vic Sage, we, see him wither away in real time and it hurts uh because i think i mean anybody who's probably uh had a family member who has to deal with something like this can probably relate to that and it's i mean it's heartbreaking to just look at that unfold and know that there's you know nothing that she can do about it um but I think it's it also leaves on a very hopeful message. Whereas uh, she kind of spiraled after Crispus's death, we get to see her grow to the point where um, the time Vic actually you know succumbs, he encourages her to change. And I I just love that scene. They, she's trying to to drag him back to this mystical city because she thinks they can heal him, and he gives this amazing send-off where he he says um it's 
at some point, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, at some point or another, we all have to change. And the moment he dies, the gates to the city open and you see like her future is ahead of her there. And I, I'm freely going to admit I cried reading that for the first time. And I still kind of do. <laughs> yeah. I, I also thought it was interesting. The city didn't reveal itself until after he was gone. Yeah. You know? Like it became very clear that the point of the story wasn't to save Vic Sage. And like, I knew what Renee was going to become by the end of this. Right. Like that wasn't mm-hmm. a big surprise to me, but it was really, really, really satisfying to, to see her work that out. And it was interesting to use Vic as the mode for that. Because, I mean, you get like a little bit of a training montage after he dies for her to become the question. But you also realize that you got to see over the course of 52 her become the question, right? Yeah. It wasn't about Vic dying and then all of a sudden she has to become the question. It's that she was, she had inherited his mantle even before he was dying. And she just had to realize that for herself, which I thought was great. Alexis, do you have any thoughts about Renee? and Vic I honestly I thought there was such a fun jump in the beginning to how he found her and drug her into everything and I feel like they had some really awesome scenes which I liked a lot um one of my favorites is when they um escape from that foreign prison that they were being kept in and they're hiding out in the storage crate and they're talking about um because she like goes out and scouts and he's like staying in the storage container and he, she like comes back and she goes honey i'm home and he goes oh me and the kids are waiting for you and there's like rats running all around him <laughs> and i'm like yes that's this me in is new york wonderful. city that's me in new york city right now <laughs> yeah you just sit sitting in your apartment. sitting in my uh storage shed with a bunch <laughs> of rats yeah <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just thought there was a lot of like good humor, but also like they had a really good kind of deep understanding of each other, which I mm-hmm. liked a lot as well. Because even like, I mean, pretty close after that with their awards ceremony, like he obviously was there receiving his award and he knew exactly why Renee wasn't there. And he was trying to explain it. He's like, yeah, she's going through it, you know? And it just was interesting to see like how quickly they caught on to each other. I feel like, and it was a really interesting quick relationship that they didn't necessarily know was happening. If that makes sense, which I liked a lot. I agree. Um, so we've talked a little bit about booster and about Renee. Who do each of you feel like had the most satisfying end to their story? Oh, Mm. I, I've got to give a plug for my boy Steel here. Yeah. We oh, yeah. We haven't talked about Steel yet, but getting to watch him pound the living crap out of Lex Luthor at the end. Oh, it's it's always it's always a good time when Lex <laughs> Luthor gets punched in the we face. Love when you know? Lex Luthor gets beat up. Nobody yeah. likes him. And I just I love the imagery of like the steel armor being torn off of him. Right. I think the man is there. No yeah. powers overcoming. He's the one that wants to just lay in. <laughs> yeah, like he he overcomes all of that that he's been dealing with in his story arc. Like we've talked about pretty much everybody but him. Yeah. And I don't know that we, I have the time to 
<laughs> dive into Steele's whole thing now this late in the podcast. But I will say that he had a really satisfying end proving that he himself was a hero. Like that was the point he was trying to make to his niece at the beginning of the story. It was like, it doesn't matter what suit you have. It doesn't matter what powers you have. It doesn't matter like necessarily the power you bring to the table. What matters is who you are and what you bring to the table. And to see that realized with him as a person defeating Lex Luthor, who had souped himself all up with all the things that we had, that that story arc was trying to tell us weren't important. I thought that was really, really satisfying to see come about. And honestly, his arc was one of the ones that made me want to explore the character the most. Because he's always just sort of shown up in the background of the things I like. Like he was in the latter half of Morrison's JLA, which I thought was great. He's in this. I want to know more about Steel. And honestly, yeah. 52 I, I wanted with, to get more into it. 52 do that with so many characters for me. I feel like I'm like, oh, now I've got a reading list for like five people <laughs> I need to know more about. Yeah, I mean, characters. In, in the spirit of that, if we have a little bit of time, I mean, just as a quick plug, Ralph Dibney. Um, I think, I think especially with a story focused on grief, Ralph is really, really going through it. Like, you from the beginning, you get the sense that he's like just a couple of steps away from, from completely bottoming out. You know, um, he's kind of just like hanging on by a thread, and it's all because I mean. I, I hate referencing identity crisis, but he lost his his wife, Sue, in identity crisis and like clearly hasn't been the same since then. So we kind of follow him as he has this desperate mission to, um, you know, to to get her back. And at the very end, I love seeing this. Uh, Ralph, of course, you know, dies a pretty horrible death, but we see him and Sue together as detectives, and I just love that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, we did. This book is so good, we forgot to bring up Steele and Ralph Dibney, and both of them <laughs> yeah. could have carried a book on their own. Like that, Her also just how the good whole, like, is. space adventure with Lobo. Oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. We haven't even brought up... <laughs> When I first saw him, I was like, what the hell? Where Lobo. did he come from? I love trashy space wolves. Space dolphin. Good well, old. And the fact that he's a space wolf now, too. I love that. I um, love. Lobo is. Lobo is like. Lobo. Missouri Wolverine. <laughs> and Missouri the, Wolverine. And the fact that he was the Pope of Space made it all better for me. And I say Missouri Wolverine with love in my heart, having lived, <laughs> having lived in Missouri, I love that place, but it's got its own flavor, and Lobo belongs there. Spice. <laughs> um, Alexis, who do you feel like had the most satisfying end? On this book that you just like can't talk about it all. There's a lot of book here, and I need everybody to read it. Like I need everybody <laughs> to buckle down. And just do your due diligence. Just read fifty two. Twitter for the next few weeks with just fifty two com- content. That's honestly what I want. That's <laughs> the point of this podcast. That's the point of Doug's upcoming video. We're just here to evangelize fifty two. <laughs> oh, 
preach to the choir. Come on, everyone. Join the Church of Connell. <laughs> or don't. That's that's a bad or, idea. Or don't. <laughs> like the, the latter the latter half when they're just inspired by him. Not when they're okay. trying to resurrect dull people. All right, cool. Yeah, that's or another thing we haven't even talked about. Dull people. <laughs> yeah, dull people. Or the fact that it works. Uh <laughs> debatable. <laughs> debatable. Um all right, all right. Really work or are they just crazy? <laughs> All right, Lex, do you want to round us out with the last question on the outline before we do our listener questions? Absolutely. Okay. What are your favorite twists slash reveals? I got to go first because I don't want anyone to steal mine. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're the king of that. I know. Everybody else I, am, I am CEO. Actually, I'll go last because I always steal Lexi's. Alexis, I'll let you go first. No, no. I, that didn't mean I wanted to go first. <laughs> <laughs> Please go first. First. All right, mine has got to be the Sobek reveal. That blew my mind. Oh, my skin crawled off my body just reading that. <laughs> right? The, everybody that has read this book is just a dick. Because the whole week I was like, man, this Black Marvel family rules. I need more of them. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to like find out what they do after this story. Nothing is the answer. They do nothing after this story. They die. The end. And... Yeah, so this, like, I thought I was so clever. When Kondok was struggling and there was all sorts of famines and everything, I was like, obviously the four horsemen went there. Come on, I'm so smart. And then all of a sudden the book's like, and by the way, the alligator, the crocodile that you look like, that's one of them. And he kills Osiris. It blew my mind. I was like, you slippery geese. And you purposely didn't show me that one. You purposely only showed me three of the horsemen and be like, oh, yeah, the other one left a little bit early. (laughs) And I was so viscerally upset. And this was still when, like, DC Comics could put, like, blood and guts in their comics, which they can't really do anymore. Yeah. And so there's just, like, this visceral slaughtering of a child that you're like, whoa, Okay, that's what we're doing. All right. And the fact oh, that what? it's Sobek, who up to that point was like the hmm. the Black Marvel's Mister Tony. Like, imagine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, imagine yeah. if Tony the Tiger ate Captain Marvel all of a sudden. <laughs> it's terrifying. And yeah, and that kid was bleeding like the Kool Aid Man. Frankly, <laughs> oh. it was a mess. It was a breakfast cereal mess. So that was my favorite reveal of the whole thing because everything else, I feel like I had an inkling, you know, but that one caught me so off guard and just left me smiling. I was like, what a book. Like, wow. Okay. There go my hopes and dreams. <laughs> All right, Lex, do you have a favorite twist? Uh, I don't know. I just feel like there were so many like, all these different like converging stories that I have to like sift through which one. I mean, definitely like the whole booster thing. I was going to say that originally, but we kind of already got into that. Um, I had no sense of the whole like, and especially like thinking back, like him fighting himself. Yeah. Like that yeah. really like puts me through a loop. I'm like, okay, like, can you imagine being the future him and just like having to put up with it you're like that's fine it's fine (laughs) just beat me up it's fine um 
I feel like past Booster's definitely going to have to have therapy after that. Yeah, yeah. he's just going to have a lot of therapy in general. All the boosters. <laughs> All the boosters need it. His little robo buddy came for him. I was going to yes. say how great of an idea would it be to just send the superheroes to therapy, but that oh, was no. a crisis, and that didn't go very well. <laughs> it all comes back to Tom King. It all comes back to Tom King every time. Which is funny, because like, the second episode of this podcast, like eons ago, back before the reboot and everything, was us praising the crap out of Tom King for Mr. Miracle, which I still hold is a phenomenal book. Like, I'll find anybody. <laughs> Mr. Miracle rules. Like, it is funny now, a year later, me just rolling my eyes at Heroes in Crisis. <laughs> You're like, oh boy. I'm just a jaded old hag. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's exactly what I would call you. How about you, Doug? What was your favorite twist of the series? Oh, gosh. Favorite twist. Um, I actually kind of, this one just popped into my head, but uh, I love the the sort of falling action of the uh, of the lost leaguers story i mean they have like a whole mad max movie in space they have to fight through this uh which is terrifying and then they they manage to hijack a ship that crashes they build another one and that um almost immediately begins to like run out of fuel and everything and then like they I guess Adam Strange and Starfire end up sending their like goodbyes to each other. They're just like, well, I guess this is it. And then all of a sudden, a planet appears out of nowhere, and they crash into that. And you find out that it's one of the Green Lanterns because like one of one of the Logo. lanterns is basically just yeah, a giant planet. And it's I I love that the idea that like. They, they've been away from home, like from the DC universe for so long. And they finally just like land there in a heap, but they're, they're home. I love that. Yeah, that that's pretty good. I like it a lot. Mogo, the planet Green Lantern catching you before your death <laughs> is a pretty good way. Pretty good end. Also, like, Animal Man. We didn't talk about him yeah. at all. Yeah. He had a great run. When he, the final animal power that he got, I was like, ah, uh, love to see Grant Morrison pop up in this book. I, that was one of my favorite parts about this book, was just calling out who was writing what at any given time. Like, huh? Oh, there there <laughs> you are. That's what you're doing. Like, there was the whole thing about how great the flashes are like oh, all the other superheroes are great but nobody's quite like flash and i was like lol i know who wrote that one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who had that page <laughs> um all right so let's do some listener questions so that we how many do we have we have two this week <gasps> yay all right so question number one from eric azana <gasps> oh, he's a good guy Hi, eric hi all right, Eric writes, do you think DC would benefit from another 52-style story? If they did, who would you put front and center in the story? I mean, Does it have my... to be 52 issues? Because <laughs> no. <laughs> Just kidding. Alexa says 12-issue maxi-series is the cap. <laughs> Maybe 15 pushing it. 
Um, I would love to see a story that focuses on the B team again. I think that DC could really, really do that. Use that right now with 47 Bat books, mm-hmm. three Superman books, and one Wonder Woman book, and no Aquaman book. Like, they don't even have mm-hmm. their full JLA represented in their mm-hmm. books. So, like, I would love to see what all of the side characters are doing because the DC universe feels microscopic right now. And I feel like a 52-style book would make it feel a lot larger. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Who do we want to see on our 52-style book roster, though? Oh, specifics. I'm going to make myself not pick any of the ones from this book because <laughs> even though I like them, it's already been done. Um, the young Justice characters. The uh, young kids. I wouldn't mind seeing what they're up to. I feel like that'd be fun to juxtapose that because this one focuses so much on the JSA in the second half. Yeah. It'd be fun to like invert it with the young characters. I would love to I mean, to we see... know we have 57 Robins, so <laughs> they can have their own 52 Robins. Oh, yeah, perfect. 52 issues straight of just a different Robin every issue. <laughs> different one every day. A different child soldier that Bruce Wayne has abducted. <laughs> I would love to see Max Mercury pop up in my version of the 52. I feel like that speed shaman just speaks to me. Every time he pops up in a book, it makes me happy. Uh, what do you think, Doug? What are some oh. characters you'd love to see? Oh, gosh. I mean, I... I've had this idea brewing for a while that's basically like DC's answer to to Kurt Busiek's Marvels, where uh, it would be so cool to see like a, a Justice League is missing story, but from like a, a civilian's perspective. Ooh. And um, I mean, if anybody follows me on Twitter, they know that <laughs> I'm I'm a huge mark for Jimmy Olsen. I yeah. completely unironically love that guy and i think he would be perfect for a story like this not just because um he's kind of been seen as a joke for years and years but also because he's been so intrinsically tied to superman and uh it, i think it would be really cool to see him kind of step out of that shadow and then realize oh i have to be the hero here i mean it's happened before but uh i don't think ever to that degree I'm definitely planting the seed right now. You've got to come back for a Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen episode. Oh, someday. absolutely. Because that book rocked my socks last year. Did you gonna... ever, did you ever see the tweet from, um, I don't even remember if it was Matt Fraction or Steve Lieber. It might've been Steve Lieber, but the issue where they buried the dupe, um, <laughs> Matt Fraction's son, was like, why didn't you guys title that issue Burying the Lead? And Steve Lieber's <laughs> like, I'm retiring from comics. I'm giving up. Nothing has been that funny ever. And honestly, like, that spoke to me on a spiritual level. Yeah, I I love everything about Matt Fraction's Jimmy Olsen. I can talk for days about that. I agree. I loved Steve Lieber's artwork in that as well. There were so many funny visual gags. Like, Steve Lieber is the man. (laughs) What a team. What a book. I can't believe that that book got made. I can't believe that book came out on time. I can't, like, so many perfect things. And now it's just this beautiful trade 
that I want to buy everybody in the world. See, now we have our perfect answer then. It's just 52 issues of Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, exactly. We make Alexis read them at gunpoint. <laughs> like, read 52 issues oh. for the next podcast. I'm attacked. <laughs> all right, all right. Last weekly question um, Glenn, from Glenn Machette, who oh. is great. We love Glenn. Uh, he says, it's been a while since we've had a weekly book. Do you think we'll ever see the like again? Please remind all listeners that I am the biggest Captain Marvel fan. You guys rock, Glenn. <gasps> Not fired. <laughs> so what do you guys think of the weekly format? Do you want to see it come back? Do you think it will come back? Do you think that it's ever been successful outside of 52? Um, do we have any thoughts? Like, uh, but you mean weekly by like an issue comes out a week? Yeah, one issue every week. Like that was the whole shtick of 52. For one straight oh. year, one issue came out every single week. I think it's fun. It's an endeavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Doug? Oh, I mean, I part of my research for this was looking into the behind-the-scenes stuff. And, uh, I mean, Grant Morrison in particular lines out, like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we started out pretty strong, but like, by by the midpoint or even the end, uh, it's it's really a chore to, to keep pace with that. And I'm, I'm not saying that uh, it isn't impossible. Like, if you have a big enough team... Uh, you can definitely make it work. Um, but I think I think you definitely have to have like the the right vision for a weekly series. I don't think it's enough to just put out a story a week. You need like a, a story that demands that kind of uh, that kind of weekly attention. And I think that's what fifty two did so well. it's It's like a like a prestige drama in a way. Totally. I feel like there are a lot of books that switch to weekly when they have to like Spider-Man is notorious in yeah. recent years for being like, no, we're weekly for two months because this random storyline's happening. And it honestly seems like more of a chore than an exciting thing. Most of the time, like <laughs> Spider-Man's my favorite character. And when I see that it's switching to weekly, I'm like, oh, my gosh, why is this happening? Who did this to me? Go back to a month to month basis. <laughs> And I also, like, I want to see more artists be given more leeway and creative freedom. I feel like right now in the industry, shipping schedules come before artists. Yeah. And that's sad to me because, like, the end product isn't as good, you know? Like, I realize All-Star Superman had a horrendous release schedule, you know? But... Now, at the end of the day, everybody's got a copy of All-Star Superman, and we all get to pull it out and see Frank Whiteley's art whenever we want, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like there has to be a happy medium. Like, you see Scotty Young and Humberto Ramos over on Strange Academy are pumping out a beautiful issue of comics every month. If you switch that to every other week or weekly, that would fall off. That is impossible to keep up, you know? And so, like, I'm... I'm mixed because I want to see more more work from the industry to say it's okay to wait for a really great book instead of like rushing out a book with a fill-in artist. But like, I mean, I loved 52. If they could do this again, <laughs> do it. I remember I was reading comics when Batman Eternal was coming out. And oh, yeah. Very I, good series. Yeah, I remember it fondly. I feel like I need to reread it 
I don't remember anything from it other than like the introduction of Bluebird and that it had good vibes, you know? <laughs> so like I would definitely have to reread that before I could talk about it in any sort of intelligent way. But that was a lot of fun. So like DC has a habit of trying to pull off these weekly books. And if they pull out a good one, I would be pretty happy. I don't know that I've ever seen Marvel do it very well, but maybe I just have a blind spot. All right. Anybody have any final thoughts for the show before we sign out? Uh, well, I, I guess if I had to leave um, final thought, I'd have to say that uh, the reason why 52 works and the reason why I think DC could still work as a company is because it's all about the spirit of collaboration. You know, you have writers, artists, editors together. And I mean, sure, there's going to be tension and everyone kind of has their own competing voice but if you can get that to work together and uh if you can all make something as you know as unified and cohesive as 52 then you're unstoppable and that's all i have to say on that i would agree and i think that's a really excellent note to to end it on doug do you have anything that you want to plug for the people before we go Oh, gosh. Uh, I have uh, my YouTube channel, which is For Every Kind of Geek, and you can follow me on Twitter at Every Kind of Geek. You should do it. He has phenomenal videos. He's really fun on Twitter. Let me give a personal plug for him as well. Like, love And this someone guy. may or may not be in uh, one of the videos. <laughs> 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 me. <laughs> It is very, very fun. So <laughs> if you enjoyed it all, what we did this week, again, make sure to follow Doug and follow us over on the web. We really appreciate all of you. We love getting the feedback. It's been really fun to have a see a little community built up around this podcast. Mm-hmm. So thanks for everybody, everything, everybody, and we will talk to you again next week. See Bye. You guys.